I'm Shannon Abel, Media Marketing Specialist at Blue Acorn ICI and host of The Funnel, an experience-driven commerce podcast. Each episode, I interview customer experience and commerce experts to discuss the latest trends and topics that matter most to brands and retail professionals. Today, to go along with the new brand of our podcast, we will be talking about experience-driven commerce. Uh, full disclosure, me and the guests are all working remotely, so the quality of this episode might be a little off, but just want to give everyone a heads up. Um, so today we have with us Emily Wilhoyt, VP of Commerce Growth, uh, and Sean Reed, VP of Marketing Technology and Analytics from Blue Acorn ICI. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hey, Shannon, thanks, thanks for, for having us. Yeah, before we hop in, um, Emily, do you want to start with just giving a little bit about your background, and then we'll go over to Sean? Sure thing. So, as Shannon said, I am the VP of Commerce Growth here at Blue Acorn ICI, been at the organization uh, coming up on six years, and I really help our clients and potential clients identify ways to improve their commerce experience through all of our great technology platforms and our internal services. Cool. And I'm Sean Reed. Um, so I've been with the company for about a year and a half now. Came in uh, originally to kind of help build up the, the technology side of a, a new analytics practice within the company and uh, have since kind of built up that team and am now leading a team of analysts and strategists and architects to uh, help our customers uh, get the most out of their marketing technology. I've been doing analytics and marketing technology for about 15 years now. And before that, I've been in IT for longer than I care to remember. So definitely a technology guy at heart. Awesome. Well, jumping right in, let's start with what is experience-driven commerce? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's obviously the topic for today and a buzzword that a lot of us are hearing within the industry. And um, there's a few definitions out there, but at the heart of it, experience-driven commerce is Brands making sure that every interaction a consumer has with your brand, that it's personalized and shoppable. And, you know, whether it's saying making every moment shoppable or meeting your customer at every device, making a shoppable moment. Like I said, there's a lot of definitions out there, but it's this idea of making sure that consumers can purchase your product where they are when they want to. Is this more of a new term or how long has experience driven commerce been around for? Yeah, like I said, it's kind of buzzworthy now. I'd say it probably first came about about two years ago, um, but definitely seeing it pick up. And I think it really goes back to this idea that consumer expectations have changed so drastically in, let's say, the last 10 or so years, and brands are having to adapt to that. So 10 years ago, when we talked about commerce and what brands were doing in a digital format, it was essentially, you know, having a website that was essentially a virtual catalog that users could purchase products versus today, I don't know about you, but I often am shouting at Alexa to re reorder dog food, you know, from a device in my kitchen. So consumer expectations have really changed. And today's consumers are, they're always on, always connected to a device. If you can think about, you know, we all have a phone, a watch, a tablet, a desktop within arm's reach of us at any given time. And those consumers who are always on are also really agnostic of those channels. A consumer doesn't care if their brand has doors across the country or around the corner or is only on uh, an Instagram shopping website. They really are agnostic to those channels. 
but what they want from brands is to really have a great experience. They want to be delighted uh, by the brands that they shop from. And I think what's changed and why experience-driven commerce in our industry is such a big topic is that brands are no longer competing on price or products like they used to. They are now competing purely on this customer experience. And an interesting stat that we found, we recently did a study with uh, Adweek, Brandweek Insights Group, and they found that 80% of brands think that they're delivering good experiences to their customers. However, only 8% of those consumers agree that they are getting a great experience from a brand. What are some examples of brands that are actually delivering good experiences that these consumers are expecting now? Yeah, I think one of the hottest brands that people love to talk about related to experience-driven commerce is definitely Warby Parker. So with Warby Parker, they deliver a fantastic experience from their digital online store to actually delivering the five eyeglasses that you can try on at home to all of the content in between and their emails. And even now, you know, they have flagship stores that also deliver a great experience that their users are used to online. And all of it feels like the same brand. It's all being marketed to the consumer in similar ways and really delights their users. I think another great example of a, a newer brand is Care of Vitamins. So uh, they have a great concept where you know, you're, you go to their site and you take a personalized quiz about your own uh, lifestyle and health, and they come up with a customized solution for vitamins that are mailed to you in these daily packs with your name printed on it. And the experience that a user has from getting to the homepage, going through that quiz process, all the way through to opening these packages on a daily basis is really well done and consistent. And um, what we found also in that Adweek study is over 60% of customers expect some kind of personalized experience when they're buying from a brand. Um, and so those are two examples of brands that are doing it really well. And those are, those are both pretty much digitally native brands, but you really don't have to be a digitally native company to do this. And that's what we're finding a lot in um, working with our clients is that to deliver experience-driven commerce, you really just need to uh, find ways to align your people, process, and technology so that you can deliver these experiences. And what we're seeing a lot of now, and something I found uh, in the last week, is actually many types of companies looking for to fill a role of director of digital experience or even experience-driven commerce. And I uh, encourage our users to go on LinkedIn and see who's hiring for this digital experience director and those types of roles. I mean, what I saw is there's companies like Caterpillar, a hundred year old manufacturer versus somebody like Rothy's, the Instagram shoe company that I'm sure many of you have seen ads for. They're both hiring for the same position, trying to solve for this problem. So you don't have to be a digitally native brand. You just need to, uh, like I said, align your people process and technology to be able to uh, deliver experience driven commerce. What a role like that cover more than just the commerce site? Yeah, what we're seeing in, in a role like director of digital experience is that commerce is only a piece of that. So um, there's usually a content team. There's, of course, sometimes more of a, a merchandising and an omni-channel team talking about, you know, what are they doing offline? So that we see the director of digital experience really bringing together many parts of an organization. So really like they're touching all the or overseeing all the customer touch points essentially. Yeah, and making sure that those are somewhat mm -hmm. consistent. 
So how would a non-digitally native brand be thinking about experience-driven commerce? I think I can take that one. So there's this old adage, you know, first impressions matter. And I think that's even more important when businesses that are not traditionally digital start to move in that direction. You know, if you go into a brick and mortar store, um, you, you typically have more than a few seconds as a, as a business to win somebody over before they leave your store. Whereas, you know, if, if somebody lands on your website and it just doesn't make any sense, it doesn't feel relevant to your interests, that sort of thing, um, you're going to leave pretty quick. In fact, our partner Adweek did a study that said 48% of consumers have left a brand site and made a purchase from a competitor simply because the site was poorly customized. It, it wasn't to their liking. It wasn't relevant. It didn't make sense to them. And so, um, you know, you, you really only have a lot of times that one shot, those, those few seconds to really draw them in and engage them. And so being able to personalize that experience is especially important as you move to become more of a digitally focused brand. So when it comes to personalization, there's a few different tenets that I like to think about. Um, the first one is consistency. So making sure that as a consumer moves between different marketing channels, such as your website, email, et cetera, that they're getting the same experiences, the same messaging, the same offers. I got a, an email a while back from a, a well-known retailer offering me a discount on something at, I think it was a 25% discount. And then I went onto their website looking to possibly use that coupon. And on the website, there was an even better discount that didn't require a code. And the one in the email did require a code. So if I had used that email coupon and then seen, you know, that thing on the website, I might've been a little upset because it was, it was inconsistent. There wasn't um, any communication, obviously, between the, the folks managing the website and the folks managing the email to make sure that I was getting that same offer. So consistency is very important there. Uh, relevancy would be the next thing to keep in mind. So making sure you're targeting me with the correct products, the correct offers. Rothy's, uh, which Emily mentioned earlier, is primarily a women's shoe brand. So if, if you start targeting me with that, I'm probably not going to be very interested in it. Whereas uh, if you start targeting me with uh, other kinds of sneakers. I'm, I definitely am a sneakerhead. So if you, if you send me like Nike or whatever, um, I'm definitely likely to click on it. So making sure that those messages are, are relevant to me is very important. And then timeliness is the third piece. So I had a, a situation a while back where uh, my car needed service and I'd made an appointment to take it into the dealership. And the day after I took it in to get it serviced, I got an offer for a discount on service. Um, they, they obviously knew from their system that I was coming in they could have sent me that offer in time for me to use it, but they didn't. And so making sure that the offers that consumers are receiving and the experiences they're seeing are, are timely and um, make sense uh, in the context of the interactions that they're having with you. And also contacting them at the right frequency too. So if you have a, a consumer that's engaging with your brand every day, you probably don't need to email them daily. But if they're only coming back maybe once every few weeks or a few months, you know, sending them, putting them on a drip campaign, sending them a periodic email might be a good idea. So just making sure that the, the level of contact you have is relevant to how often they're engaging with you. So going off the timeliness, I know in the last month or two, I've seen at least a couple of brands where they keep promoting a sale they have on their website that already happened the day before. And I think they just forget to turn off that paid ad. Exactly. Yeah, That's waste, like, wasted see, money. And then I hit, right. And then I hit that site. I'm like, oh, well, now it's just a bad experience in my mind. But I feel like personalization can really, there's a balance between making sure that you're adding value with personalization versus being creepy and trying to act trying to show that you're just personalizing the experience just to personalize it so 
what tips do you have for any brands that can personalize the experience without crossing that line into being creepy? Great question. So the first thing I would say is keeping in mind that starting on a personalization journey, it's, it's complex. It's not easy. So just set that expectation with yourself and with the rest of your organization early and involve others in your organization too. So what I've seen a lot of my clients do uh, to much success is to create uh, a digital center of excellence and loop in stakeholders from across the organization, people from finance and legal and IT and product and of course marketing, um, making sure all of those groups have a seat at the table and are part of the conversation around how do we personalize? Because ultimately, if you think about it, each of those groups has a stake in it. You know, finance wants to understand the ROI of the investment in personalization. Legal wants to make sure you're complying with privacy laws as you're personalizing. Um, you know, IT is probably going to be running the systems that are doing your personalization online. Um, and then product and marketing are kind of, you know, obvious how, how they are involved. But just making sure everyone is talking and that there's alignment on those efforts um, is important because if not, then you end up with some of those inconsistencies that I talked about earlier at best. And, you know, at worst, you may end up doing something illegal or something that could be damaging to your brand. Yeah, I think that's also why we see, you know, these new roles being hired for on the holistic customer experience or digital experience managers of kind of owning that center of excellence and making sure that all parts of the organizations are aligned on the plans and, and also just from a systems perspective as well. But huge important to, like you said, involve everybody when you're thinking about personalization. That's a great point, Emily. Yeah, I think um, that director of customer experience serves a very valuable role almost as a program manager for, for all of these efforts and, and can kind of coordinate all that. Um, because it, it is, again, it's a complex machine. So having someone that understands all the pieces of it and can kind of keep everything aligned is, is very important. Another thing that I think a lot of people neglect when they're starting to go down this personalization road is um, making sure that they have quality data. Bad data is very expensive. Um, there's a lot of different ways that that can cost your company money, whether it's jeopardizing your affiliate relationships because you, you underpaid um, people um, based on your agreements with them, whether it's poorly optimized marketing spend, you know, spending money on the wrong channels because of your, your data is telling you that you should really spend more on social, but maybe you should be spending more on display ads or whatever. And then the other one that I, I think a lot of people forget about is when you have bad data, you're actually creating inefficiencies within your organization, your employees, your analysts, people looking at that data, they're going to get frustrated because they realize that the data is maybe incomplete or it's wrong. And then they're having to try and explain to the stakeholders and the people that they deliver this data to why that data is wrong and why they should trust that data this week, even though they couldn't trust it last week. And so it just creates a lot of unnecessary problems and inefficiencies that could be avoided by spending some time before you go too deep into personalization to make sure that that data is, is complete, is comprehensive and, and uh, you know, isn't missing anything important. And the final thing I'll say about it is, um, as, as Shannon alluded to earlier, too much is definitely not a good thing when it comes to personalization. So making sure you're not creeping out your users, don't, don't use information that um, they're not clear that you should have. If the user doesn't have a reasonable expectation that you should have that data, then don't use that data to personalize because they're gonna see through what you're doing very quickly and uh, probably not trust you anymore. And making sure to adhere to those privacy regulations as well. Um, you know, it's, it's tempting to just use every bit of data we have to personalize, but some pieces of data can't be used for that purpose. And we need to make sure also that 
if a user does opt out of any kind of data collection, that we still have the ability to deliver a good experience, even though it may not be a fully personalized experience. Um, so a lot of companies don't think about that either, how to do the fallback option. If, if I opt out as a, as a consumer from any data collection, are you still going to be able to deliver me some sort of good experience, even though it may not be personalized to me directly? I think when people hear personalization, they often assume, or they often just think B2C or D2C, but how does B2B fit into all this? Yeah, well, you know, we found that a study by Gartner in the last year or so saw that over 80% of B2B businesses are moving to an online model in the next five years. And a lot of what we hear in the B2B industry is why are we treating these buyers as non-consumers? If all the things I said about consumers' expectations at the beginning of the podcast, you know, that they're always on, they're looking to be delighted. These B2B buyers are consumers too. And so we're seeing a big trend in B2B companies offering a few different things, a direct-to-consumer channel to actually add a whole new revenue stream and using a digital outlet to capture more of the market share, but also to deepen the relationship that they have with their users. They are typically have, have you know, either a distributor or a sales rep model that doesn't allow them to have that one-to-one -one relationship with their buyers. Um, so we're seeing a big move towards offering a direct channel for businesses to also understand uh, what their buyers want. And of course, if they're delivering a digital experience, it, they fall behind all of these tips that we're, that we're giving um, also apply to B2B when they're creating, you know, an experience thinking about doesn't matter where their user is or what device or what channel they want to buy from. We want to make sure it's a good experience across all of those. To wrap up, what's one tip each of you could give our listeners who need to start thinking about experience-driven commerce or even just enhance what they already have for their organization? Ooh, I might need a second to think on that. Sean, you go first. Okay. Well, um, mine's, mine's pretty straightforward. I, I kind of mentioned it before, but I, I feel like too many companies forget the importance of data quality when they get started with personalization. Your, your house is ultimately only as good as its foundation so if your data is incomplete or inconsistent or just flat out wrong you're not going to be able to do a good job at personalizing and, and in some cases like that stat that I referenced earlier you might end up just driving people away entirely so making sure that you have a solid foundation of data that's accurate that's comprehensive um, that's what's really going to enable you at the end of the day to deliver those messages that are consistent relevant and timely. Emily was that enough time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are great tips, Sean. So I'd say for any companies out there looking into experience-driven commerce, and it is a big task to completely, you know, look at their entire customer experience and, and try to optimize and, and account for the changing user expectations. But I'd say one thing that we found really valuable is to go through the entire buying process as one of your consumers. So have you gone to your homepage and completely done a shopping experience from browsing the site to actually picking uh, a product, going through the whole checkout process, understanding what do those transactional emails look like when they get to the user, but not stopping there. A lot of our uh, teams, you know, are very digitally focused and we optimize the site and the e-commerce funnel so much, but there's also a lot of customer experiences that happen after that sale. So what does that packaging experience look like? We've helped a lot of our clients to uh, really 
delight their customers by creating custom packaging. I mean, we all get a million Amazon boxes uh, on our doorsteps and we know what those look like, but have you ever had an experience where you get something directly from a brand and it's, you know, maybe a different color box and it has a nicer packaging inside and maybe even a note from the company. And so those are areas that can really improve the user experience that a lot of digital folks might not be thinking about, but the Adweek study that we did also found that, you know, the average consumer spends about three seconds looking at uh, a digital banner ad that you might pay for, but they spend 90 seconds unboxing the product in their own home. So that is a huge, huge opportunity to really capture uh, their attention and delight them. Yeah, and I have one quick thing to add too, if you don't mind, Emily. So. I believe we actually partner with some of these companies that do this, but there are companies out there that will allow you to kind of run your own focus groups and test out an experience. And I feel like a lot of times as a, as a marketer or as a product owner, you kind of get blinders on after a while because you're so used to looking at your experience that nothing looks wrong with it. It just looks perfect. And so <laughs> even, even sometimes if you do what Emily said, not that that's not good advice, but even sometimes when you do that, you might miss things because you're so used to looking at it through your lens. So sometimes it can also be helpful to layer that with um, having some third parties check it out. And that way you can see what their reactions are, where they're getting frustrated, where they're getting confused in the process and clear up those barriers to make it a, a seamless and enjoyable experience for your consumers. That's a great point. We also yeah. have done it where uh, maybe try the experience that your competitors are offering. So go through that entire process and see if there's anything that maybe you're doing better or that they're doing differently that might also um, be something to consider since you probably share the same target market. Yeah, that's a great idea too. Especially with customer expectations changing as fast as they are today what might work six months ago isn't necessarily going to work today so just going through it yourself and seeing how it works is great advice well thanks emily and sean for joining us i really appreciate it for those of you listening you, you can find all of our episodes pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts so apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify um, and if you'd like to learn more about experience driven commerce we have a ton of content on our blog at blueacornici.com. Or if you want to talk to someone at our company, just fill out the contact us form at blueacornici.com as well. Thanks, guys. Until next time. Bye.